Hello, and welcome to episode 213 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories one page and one panel at a time. On this episode, we have a review of Reckless from Image Comics released in 2021. Your creative team is Ed Brubaker on writing, Sean Phillips on art, and Jacob Phillips on colors. This is your spoiler alert for Reckless. This is Matt, and I'm joined by Constructing Comics co-host Noah. Hey there. And joining us is Chris Barkham, the creator of Superior Sam. Chris, thanks so much for coming back on the podcast. Um, since you're our guest, why don't you lead us off with your, your initial thoughts on this book? And I'm very excited to have you on because I know that you're a big Brubaker and, and Phillips guy. So uh, let's, let's dive into this book. Hi, everybody. And thanks again for having me on. Um, yes, it is true. I make it no... No holds barred, no secret that I am a huge Ed Brubaker fanboy. I just, I, I love Ed Brubaker's writing style. It's always good and it's always intriguing. And I think whatever he does always makes it hard for the next person to follow up for because he just does it so well. And then, you know, and the same goes when he works with Sean Phillips, they've worked together now for so long that it's just, you know, kind of a hand and foot kind of deal. Like, they don't, I, I have to imagine their process. They don't have to actually talk anymore, you know, kind of a deal. They just know what each other thinks. And when it comes to, when you're looking for comics and you want pulp and you want crime and you want that noir feel to it, you're looking for Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips, and then Jacob Phillips and his coloring has just been amazing. And then his own art and his own right on that Texas blood is just fantastic. You could definitely tell he has learned from his dad and has taken that, you know, to heart. So. Yeah. Very well put. Uh, Noah, how about, how about you? I, I feel like you have the same sentiments, but uh, wh what are your thoughts on, on this book? Um, it's uh, I, I, I loved it obviously. Cause I am a Brubaker and Phillips person, but I have to say that this isn't like my, uh, it's not like one of my top books that I've read by them. I still love it. I'm glad I bought it and everything, but it's not the one, it sort of feels like uh, it just sort of lacks some originality that I kind of would hope for in like a premise by them. And um, I, I do like, like there are original things and there are things like I'll, I'll probably say more good things that I will say about bad things about it, but this one didn't leave as much of an impression on me as I was sort of hoping it would, but it's still like, you know, it's still head over. It's still miles ahead of like anything you pick up on the shelves. That's the thing. So it's like, as a, as someone who's read, I would say a lot of Brubaker and Phillips, like not like everything. It wasn't a disappointment, but it still wasn't like one that I was just like, yeah, this is the next, you know, criminal or the next uh, killer be killed or something like that, you know, um, or even like the next pulp or something like that, like, which I loved. And we talked about with Chris last time. Um, but yeah, that, that's my general opinion. It's still really great. And like I said, that'll probably be like the only negative thing I'll say about it this whole time, because I, I do love this book. So what about you, Matt? What'd you think? Yeah, I, uh, I think, I think uh, I'm very similar to you in my thoughts. Um, this is obviously a, a starting point on a, like a series that they're, they're going to, they're, they're, they're going to work on it and more is going to come out from. Um, but I think maybe the high that I was on from pulp was just sort of like, it's sort of like a Led Zeppelin album where it's like, you know, I get Led Zeppelin three and it's a little bit different, but it's not Led Zeppelin two, which is a, like, which is amazing, but it's still really great. So I don't know if that's like the best way to sort of put it, but like, that's a perfect analogy right there. I applaud yeah. that analogy. That was good. Thanks. Yeah. 
So, um, all right. So let's uh, let's let's dive into this book. Um, so basically, I, I feel like we're we're introduced at the beginning to this this scene um, in a barn um, where we have two characters sort of uh, having a dialogue with each other, which we circle back to in the end. But Chris, what do you think about sort of being dropped into the middle of the action here without knowing much? Um, at the start of this book it's you know it's it's our character and somebody that we meet later and you know it's a, it's a bloody knife fight and all that kind of stuff i'm fine with it this has become kind of the go-to thing for brubaker and phillips stories i mean pulp was fantastic with this because you yeah. really you kind of know what's going to happen but they don't tell you like it could still go a different way than what you think might happen but you're already thinking and it kind of grabs you and makes you want to go okay how did we get here? Mm-hmm. And that's what I enjoy about it because I don't know of anybody else that tells you almost the ending first on a regular basis or even, I mean, the only thing that I can think of that it kind of reminds me of would be maybe Memento. And I'm not trying to spoil it, but like it's telling the story backwards. And I think it's a really interesting way to tell a story. Yeah, I like how this this opening, I think, is my favorite part of the book. And this is really what grabbed me. And obviously, it shows off right from the start what, like, I think Brubaker and Phillips are the best at the page turn to the full page spread and anything that they do. Like, they know how to nail it so that it, like, always has an impact. So that it starts off with this conversation of this guy basically introducing us to the main character. And it's not the main character introducing us to him. It's like the main villain, the villain, right? It's not the main villain, but, you know, who we think is our main antagonist later in the book, but the antagonist introducing us. And we think that, okay, maybe this is, you know, with his dialogue about like, I hear it like there's a man that you call when you need like problems fixed, you know, and you're that man. And then I love how it ends with this sort of thing, like where you're like, oh, we think that he called this guy to come help him. And then we realize he's like, all right, you know, I have to kill you now. Right. And like, that was the part where I was like, okay, I really have a lot of questions now. And this is great. Then of course you have that awesome page turn, the double page spread of our, of our main character, Ethan reckless covered in blood, holding a hatchet. And you're like, okay, yeah, what's going on here. It's, it's a great opening, probably my favorite part of the book. Um, But yeah, yeah, I loved it. Uh, what, What are your thoughts, Matt? So do you remember a couple of um, episodes ago where we talked about like y- if you knew a James Bond movie was like good or on target with that opening sequence before the credits? Like this is almost what you get here. It's sort of like the uh, the really quick, fast action sequence. And then, you know, we fade to black and we we have like a title page and we, we fade to black with two pages here. So that's almost sort of like, all right, this is three pages, three or four pages. This is what you're in for. So, um, you know, prepare. And now I'm going to tell you how we got here, or I'm going to expand on this. So I, I feel like it's, it's, it's done really well. Chris, your, your thoughts. Yeah. I think, the, I think it's a very good way to get you like kind of grab you and get you hooked on the story and then want you to turn the page. And I think these two have worked together long enough that they know what they're doing. Everything they're doing is intentional. Yeah. So mm-hmm. what I've kind of looked at is, is they want you to see this important scene in the beginning, and then they're going to double back to it at the end because they want you to kind of have an idea of what's coming, 
but also they're pointing out like this is the pivotal scene. Sure. If you think about Paul, if you think about the second reckless book and you think about, you know, killer be killed, you know, they've done this before and they're trying to let you know what the, you know, like this is important. Remember this scene, we're going to come back to here. And I think it's a very cool thing that they do with that because sometimes you don't know where the climax is going to be in something, or you don't know something like that you read early on actually was more important than what you thought. And also too, and you know, you already gave the spoiler disclaimer. There's a big misdirection with this scene. Yeah. You know, and that was what I was talking about. You think this is the ending, but it's not. There's a misdirection that's going to come at the conclusion of this scene. And that's great writing. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love how it sets you up already from the beginning is already misdirecting you, which is great. Yeah. So Chris, you work in retail, you, you work in a, in a comic book shop. How important do you think it is to sort of have this sort of like pivotal action sequence at the beginning for somebody that's picking this book up? You know, obviously you're, your sort of your practice is to pick it up and look at the first couple of pages to see if you're into it. Because if that wasn't there, we would have picked it up and we would have started off with sort of the the beach scenes, you know, the people roller skating down, you know, Venice Beach. Like, so this is like, boom, right away, as opposed to sort of like picking it up. And if we would have started there, it would have been this the, the slow build. So do you, do you think that's important for like a comics creator? I do, because normally if you do any kind of like publishing, writing, anything like that, they always tell you like the most important things, the front cover, the back cover, and then the flip, like when people flip through it to look through it. One of the things that's funny with this book, and I don't know if your guys' copies came this way, but like when we got ours and, you know, even when we got book two and Pulp and all, they've come sealed. Yeah. You're really only getting the front cover and the back cover unless you have like a demo copy or something like that. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that I, you know, with this book is, is, you know, when we got our copies, you know, I read it that night and I was able to basically go into the shop and tell people like, hey, look, when they said this was going to be a truly original new format and a new way to tell the story, because if you don't know, this is an original graphic novel series. This yeah. is just one book. This The second book's already out as we're recording this. And I think the second book is better than the first one. So there's a spoiler for you. But I agree. You know, th what they're trying to do is one, they know they're diehards. They know the diehards are going to buy this book. They don't need to see what's on the inside of it. Mm -hmm. For the people that don't necessarily know, I think what these guys are relying on is the diehards kind of getting you to buy that book. I'm going to have to, as the salesperson, sell you on this book, especially if we didn't open a copy and you can't see inside of it. But the thing that sells you on it is, is you look at the front cover, it's the same artist that's doing the interiors, it's the same colorist, and then you see that name, Ed Brubaker, you know, and you see Sean Phillips, and you, you're sold on that. But, you know, when you open up the book and you look at it, I think one of the things that kind of burns people out sometimes with, especially with events or with things like this, it's the drag. It's the okay, we know the climax is probably three quarters in or towards the end of it or towards the end of the series. They're telling you already kind of where this is going. Mm -hmm. You know what's coming. The best example I could think of this is, and I don't know if you guys read it, but it was the, um, it was the free comic book day Civil War II preview issue where right out the gate, and I'm not trying to spoil it, they kill a pretty major character. 
which kind of sets the things in motion. But how often do you read a Marvel book where they kill a main character within a page? It, it's not that common. So to get something like this was a lot better because now you're like, okay, clearly we know Ethan is going up against somebody. How did we get here? Because let's be honest, this is a dude that's covered in blood with a hatchet. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to know more about how we got to this point. Because we're not telling a story back when, you know, guns didn't exist. So why is a guy fighting with a hatchet? That's a good point. Yeah. And yeah. I, I agree with you because... Did we lose Noah? I think we lost Noah. Okay. Um, well we'll keep going and see if he, he pops back in. So um, let's, you and I, we'll talk about the, the, um, the, the sequence after that. So we sort of get a lot of backstory on, on Ethan. We, we sort of see his location. Um, you know, he's operating out of a uh, old movie theater that's showing sort of detective films. And I feel like, you know, just sort of knowing Ed Brubaker um, and his love of film, I just feel like that's something that he would have put in, um, you know, just, just to sort of inject himself into the story a little bit. But what do you think about the fact that we were introduced to Ethan and he's operating out of an old movie theater that, that that's not, that's not doing so well. I love this. Mm-hmm. Like my wife and I have joked that if we could ever buy like a place, to like really fix up to live in as a home, it would either be an old church or a movie theater. Cause we think it would just be so cool to live in a movie theater to have that giant screen, you know, no windows kind of deal. And then the fact that like, he's playing the movies that he likes, mm-hmm. like, and he doesn't care. And I think one of my other favorite part, you know, with that too, is you meet the girl that's working with him. Mm-hmm. Like she's one of my favorite characters and I really wish you see more of her. Cause I think she's a very interesting character, but I just love the idea of him just sitting there with his popcorn, watching his old movie She's basically going, hey, we got bills to pay. Like, you know, you got you got to go to work. And, and he just wants to sit there. And you can also tell, too, with this, this is a guy that has some problems. Like, I don't, you know, you made a great example with, like, Led Zeppelin. And, like, I look at it the same where I listen to some albums sometimes where, you know, I just get lost in it and I forget everything else that I have going wrong. So I just love the idea of him just sitting there and watching in one of his favorite movies, eating some popcorn, just not giving a damn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Noah, um, we lost you there for a second, but you're back now. Um, you, so we just sort of went into the the backstory and, and the setup of Ethan and, and and what he's working, you know, what he's working out of. Um, uh, so so your thoughts here on on this sequence where we're introduced to, to Ethan his his locale his his base of operations and his sidekick yeah I, I like uh, I like all the points that that Chris brought up so you know not to echo too much of his sentiments but I, I guess to focus on another aspect of it I like that he's sort of stuck in the past with his movies you know and that sort of tells a lot about his a lot about his characters is that he can't move on while his assistant is like, Hey, how about we do something fun with the theater that will draw in crowds and, you know, is a little more new, you know, and uh, you know, she wants to, of course, to show a punk rock film. And that's, you know, that's uh, you know, that that's very indicative of the time that they're set in, in the eighties, but it also shows something about him where he's like, 
closed off from the world, but also this book is sort of about him moving on, you know, and he can't move on from the past. So he wants to show things like Night of the Hunter and the old movie posters like from Destroy All Monsters are still up there and everything, you know, that's, that's such a cool moment, of course, of like explaining who this character is. And then of course, what his arc is going to be for the rest of the film. It's going to mean something later when he allows his assistant to show the movie that she wanted to at the beginning of it. And then sort of like, in a way, let them tear apart the theater, which is sort of like changing it, you know, and, and tearing him up, you know, inside as well. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah. So, um, you know, Chris, you talked about, we were introduced to this, this sidekick, the sort of the, the, almost like the business manager taking in the jobs, referring them to, 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 uh, to our main character. Um, and they, they have this back and forth for a few pages, but eventually she says, um, that the the person that called in mentioned the name um, Donovan Rush, which we find out later. But this sort of sparks his interest to to take this job on. Um, so we know that this is important to him by the way he reacts to it. And then the next couple of pages sort of fill us in on like a flashback as to this. So what do you think about the the sort of the uh, the tonal change and and going back and filling in the story of uh, our character, um, Ethan, but this mysterious Donovan Rush name. Yeah, I, you know, that one threw me when I was reading it. And this will probably be the one part of the book that I thought was cliche, because you learn that he's, you know, he was an undercover FBI agent. And, mm -hmm. you know, this was, you know, he was working an assignment where he met that person. And I thought that was the cliche thing. But what I thought really made it work was, when you get further in the story and you learn like what happened, which mm -hmm. is why he kind of is stuck at this one moment in his life. I thought it made it make much more sense because when you're reading it and you're seeing him sit, sitting there in the theater, the first thing that I thought of, this is a guy that probably has PTSD. Like something in this guy's life has gone wrong where he is just kind of shut down and this is what he wants to do. And when you're listening to this and you're, you know, you're finding out how he's connected to this person and what he had, you know, was doing and everything. I thought it ended up, like I said, it was a little cliche, but I thought it really added this extra level to him mm -hmm. because when they solicited this book, they never told you that he was an undercover agent. Like that was never something. So that was, again, this, you know, kind of out of not left field, but like, you know, like center field kind of thing. Like, it was predictable, not predictable, but like it wasn't an, a shocker to me. Sure. But I liked it because I liked that they also went back. And I think this is something that Brute Baker and Phillips do very well together is they, they like to tell you a timely story. So if you think back to Pulp, they were mixing two stories in it. You got a Western and then you got a crime thriller. They're doing the exact same thing again here. You're getting, you know, this... I got to go run this guy down because of what he's going to do kind of deal. But you're also getting this flashback to, you know, this late sixties, early seventies, you know, with the flower power and the hippie movement, but also, you know, with some of the radicalism that went into in this idea that the FBI was infiltrating these groups, mm -hmm. you know, and that's what Ethan was doing. So I thought it was a cool thing. I just thought like after I read, I was like, okay, a little predictable, but it works. That was really my only qualm with the book. Yeah. So, Noah, uh, what do you think about uh, the transition that we sort of get a little bit uh, background on, on our main character? 
Yeah, I agree with Chris about the formulaic aspects of it. But one thing that I noticed while I was reading it is that I was asking questions still with everything that was revealed about it. So, you know, with every flashback, more questions were raised about what happened with Rainey and her brother and Mm -hmm. the bomb and how did the, you know, the scar that's on Ethan's face obviously is like, of course, a huge visual reminder of you need to be asking about what happened with the bomb, right? Why does Ethan feel this much regret? So that, yeah, I agree about the formula, but it didn't distract from the questions that I wanted to be asking for the rest of the book. Yeah. So after that, we sort of transition to to another section of the book, the the, the underground woman. Um, Ethan is sort of taken on the information and he goes to meet um, with Ruth Rainey um, and she sort of lays out sort of the, the, I guess the the financial problems that that she's currently having, which is spliced in with some more flashbacks for for Ethan. So um, the story develops here, and we know that sort of what Rainey is calling Ethan in to sort of help her out with. So the the story is moving along, um, and we sort of have sort of marching orders for for Ethan. So Chris, as we move into this section, um, what are what are your thoughts? I liked it. I liked that you finally got to the, what the, what you think is going to be the meat and potatoes of the story. I thought it, you know, it made sense because you have to realize too, you know, yeah, this isn't a, this is a graphic novel. It's a much longer, but you know, they took some time to set this up too. And as the reader, you do want to progress the story and keep people interested. And I think people at this point were like, okay, I've got some questions. I need to start getting some answers. And I, and, you know, I think they did this right, the way in which they kind of started to kind of like take you up towards that big climax that they built towards in the beginning. And, you know, like I said, I never was disappointed with anything of that per se. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I kind of like how they, they create a shorthand with the formulaic aspects. And this scene feels, this chapter feels the most formulaic. It feels the most like a pulp mystery novel in this section with the damsel coming to meet the hard-boiled detective and talk about her troubles. Um, But what's nice about Brubaker and Phillips is that they're so familiar with that genre that there's not like, you know, the meat is different than like, say, in other books. They don't really try to like ham it up too much or make it too weighty. They understand that as a reader, as someone who, as someone who hopefully like, you know, devours or consumes media like this we know the tropes we know what most likely is at stake so that they can just keep the story moving along so i felt like this book is very well paced and this didn't like i i this this section could have slowed me down with how formulaic it was but it wasn't it never slowed down it was still like a it kept it going and it used that shorthand of the genre to keep it going yeah yeah this book never boxed down no, like it's always going forward, which I think is a very nice thing about mm-hmm. it. Yeah, it's a very it's not a brisk read in the sense that you speed through it, but it's like a very well paced read where once you finish it, you feel like you got a whole book out of it, but you didn't feel like it took forever to read. Yeah, so um, so our detective or not our detective, our, 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 our protagonist, he sort of has his his marching orders um, from Rainey and he's sort of tracking down this individual that has cheated her out of money. And this is when we go into the, the fortunate son section. Um, and, you know, we talk a lot about like design 
um, in sort of like color treatment. But you know, uh, uh, what is really cool here, and this is this is Jacob Phillips doing the coloring, is sort of each of these sections when we go to the and we get a new sort of like title page, like the the tones and the color shift. Like you know, it's cool and crisp when he's talking to her on the pier and then when he sort of gets on the freeway to sort of drive to another section of the the west coast it's sort of a, a hot uh you know summer day so we 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 feel like you know we get the we get the the title page or not the title page but sort of like the title card in each sort of section as we change it but the the colors change as well so chris as we go into the fortunate sun um our, our, our protagonist is sort of on the path to, to find this individual that has cheated Rainey out of the money. Um, and it's a, it's a lot of sort of driving and narration from him, which allows us to sort of learn about him. But what do you think about this sort of driving scene with this, this inner monologue as he's going to, to find this guy that's cheated uh, Rainey out of money? Oh, I always like these things. These are like the, the like the calm before the storm kind of thing. Like, he's getting his head together. You're learning about him and his connections to everything. And you're learning how he's, you know, he's kind of walking through like what, you know, what's going to go down, you know, kind of deal. And I enjoy that. Cause I, I always kind of imagine it. It's like, you know, you're sitting there, like when I was a police officer, like when we would get like a really hot call, you always had that, like, it could be like, you know, kind of just nuts. You'd have the siren, the police radio, and you'd be hearing up it you were just calm and you were playing in your head, you know, what was going to go on, what you were going to do. And it, it just kind of goes like that. And that for me really captured me. And then you mentioned the colors. I mean, Jacob Phillips really, this story does a great job of making you feel like you are the passenger in that car. Mm -hmm. You're just there kind of listening and he's talking to you, but you're really not saying anything because you feel like you're there and, you know, the colors do a great job too of setting that kind of feeling so yeah noah uh your 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 thoughts on this section yeah i like the description of the calm before the storm and the colors are definitely indicative of of a lot of different things like they do a great job of setting like the mood and the atmosphere mm -hmm. and um i love la so like I, and like one of the few people who probably do <laughs> but i do love la and i like how jacob phillips sort of imbues the colors with that sort of LA atmosphere where it's kind of smoggy but there's something sort of bright and welcoming about it um, which is like so original to that and I, I, I while I was reading this I was like oh yeah I know that highway you know and I know that part of LA and it's pretty cool to see that and I'm like uh, it's sort of cool to see that sort of authenticity brought to this and it adds so much uh, color in other ways to the book where it's like it really fills that fills out the world of the LA of the 80s that's you know, still kind of indicative of the LA of today, which is great. So yeah, I loved it. And I loved the, of course, the confrontation with the guy in the car park too. So that was great. Yeah. So I, I thought like, I always think of things as sort of like the, the writer standpoint, but I thought this was an interesting way to sort of do an info dump because it's an info dump, but we feel like we're moving along with him as he goes down the road. So there's sort of like this, momentum of the car traveling down the freeway as we're getting like an info dump so it's not sort of like you know two dudes in a conference room sort of talking out the scenario it's sort of there, there's still movement 
um, being implied by the the car moving through the panels as we, as we do the info dump. So I thought that was an interesting interesting way to handle that. It kind of reminded me of True Detective, except like just like a one way conversation. You know, like I always loved that. I mean, one of the True Detective season one, like that's one of my favorite parts of that show are like always the conversations in the cars before things go down, mm -hmm. and that's like that's sort of what this reminded me of. Yeah. So um, he eventually reaches his, his destination and uh, he, he has a sort of, uh, it looks like he's going to have a confrontation with the, uh, the individual, uh, maybe beat him with a, uh, with a wrench, but that doesn't happen when uh, this guy, um, you know, sort of supplies him with more information. So we, we're sort of led up to this point. We think something's going to happen. Sort of all the art is indicating that a confrontation is going to come and then we sort of get more information with, with Ethan. So, um, you know, our story is sort of expanding. So Chris, what do you think about this sort of build? We think we're going to get a fight. We get some more information and the, and the story continues uh, in this section here. Well, that's what I meant earlier. I said, like, you think you know, but you don't know. This mm -hmm. was a good twist. Now you could say, okay, maybe it was a little kind of predictable, but I don't think anybody at this point was thinking that's what was going to happen. I think everybody was thinking, okay, she's, you know, she really got this problem. He's going to go solve it. They're going to fall back in love together. And then boom, they kind of like hit you with that left hook and you didn't see it coming at all. And I thought it was really smooth because you got the, you got the fight that you wanted, you know, that, that little bit of a tussle. And then you got kind of the, the saving grace kind of thing. Like, here's what you really need to know. Mm -hmm. And I think it added another level to both Rainy, but at the same time, it added a level to Ethan in showing how naive he was to just go help somebody, you know, because it almost makes it look like he got played and he did. But I mean, you didn't really think it was coming until he kind of like throws it out there like that. Yeah. Noah, uh, your, your thoughts here? Yeah, I like, um, I like that this, you know, we, we're sort of expecting a confrontation, a huge, like, violent confrontation because we haven't had an action scene since the beginning. But kind of like with Pulp, there's this, like, savoring of the anticipation of a huge confrontation that happens right here. It's Phillips and Brubaker saying, like, wait a minute, that's going to come. You know it's going to come because we showed you at the beginning there's going to be a big confrontation. We don't want you to get desensitized to violence just yet, right? So like, we're not going to have a huge fight in the car, in the, in the uh, auto, in the auto shop. We're going to save that. So that was cool to sort of like build up to something that sort of let you down, but also like, you know, we have it in the back of our mind, like this is building to something huge. And even it does that later with like when uh, Ethan is sort of in his, his hotel rooms invaded by the two thugs um, as well. Like you sort of think like, oh, maybe Ethan will get out of this in some way. And then he doesn't. It's just cool to be like for them to be such good storytellers to save that huge act of like violent confrontation for the ending. So like that restraint and uh, it kind of makes it, again, a very satisfying read in that way. Yeah. So so after that confrontation with the, the mechanic, Ethan makes a phone call back to Rainey and it seems like she's. Uh, she's in more danger than maybe we thought. There's a, you know, the, the mirror is, is cracked in her hotel room and it says stop. And then sort of everybody returns back to, to where we started off. They go, they go back to the, uh, um, to the theater 
uh, to sort of regroup. Um, and so, so we sort of have Rainey, Ethan, and uh, I'm, I'm blanking. I don't know if the, the sidekick's name was, was ever given here, but sort of everybody is back at like the central um, location. So we've sort of all like regrouped. Um, Chris, what are your thoughts about sort of bringing the, the main, I guess maybe our main three, what we think are, are you know, core protagonists right here, bringing them back to the, uh, to the theater? Oh, I thought it was a solid thing because I, I know what happens next. And I thought that was a great, you know, kind of like you think it's over or they've got a plan. And then again, they hit you with another hook that you didn't see coming. But I liked it because now if, if, if by now, like I said, I already mentioned that Ethan, you, you're going to learn as an undercover agent and things like, but like that's something that they would do is they would go back, reformulate, kind of go from there. You could also look into it a little more and go, well, wait, how, you know, she's got found. Oh, okay. You know, like, but he also got the vibe too. When I was reading that, like I got the vibe that he was digging, like he wanted to get some opinions on some things, Mm -hmm. but he wanted to see rainy face to face. Like that's kind of what I took from that, but it, it made perfect sense and it worked for the story. Cause it also kind of signals like the next act is coming. Sure. Um, That's a no- good point. Yeah. Putting it in that term. Yeah. So Noah, um, let's just you give your thoughts here because something big is about to happen, which I think we probably feel is almost like the, the midpoint of, of this book. So, um, you know, we have sort of the, the, the heart to heart and the talk between Ethan and Rainey um, where we, we, we get a little bit more, backstory into to Ethan and his days in the FBI. Um, but Noah, what are your thoughts about this sort of slow down moment here? I like it. And I was listening to a screenwriting podcast a couple of weeks ago where they talked about the importance of your main characters having a home base to return back to. So it's always good to have that like place that grounds the characters and you can ground the audience in that space. So like in Star Wars, it's like the Millennium Falcon um, like in Avengers, it's like the Avengers mansion or wherever their base is or X-Men, it's like Xavier's school. And then, of course, if you want to get edgy, if you want to make the audience feel uncomfortable, you destroy that space or you make that space feel unsafe. That's why every goddamn Star Trek movie has the Enterprise falling out of the sky these days, you know, because everybody's like, "Ooh, it's edgy. It's not what you expect. Yeah, fuck that noise. But like the uh, so like it's just uh but that's sort of something that's really important for characters is to have that spot, to mm-hmm. have that place of, of peace and calm where you lull the audience into a like sort of sense of space, like sense of safety, but it distracts you with this like an info dump right here about their past, which is really great for the next big page turn. Yeah. So um, Rainey goes out to her car. Um, she's, uh, she's keying into her car as Ethan looks at her page turn spoiler the the car explodes um and he's sort of he's thrown back so i I think this works out really well it's almost like looking at the pages it's almost sort of the halfway point of the of of the book and i feel like sort of storytelling it's almost sort of like the the midpoint of the the story no would you would you agree that this is the the midpoint yeah this is the point of no return no one can like they've all made choices or something has happened there's no going back from at this point which is yeah, it's really great. And actually, I was sitting next to my mother on Sunday while I was reading this. And I let out like an exasperated like, ugh. 
<laughs> she was like, what? And I was like, I had to explain it to her. And I was like, these are what, this is why comics are so good. And um, yeah, this page turn is just awesome of the car exploding. Uh, yeah, it was great. Chris, did that, uh, did that shock you? The, uh, did you, did you, uh, did you think we were going to lose Rainy that, uh, that quickly if we were going to lose her? I would say it didn't shock me, but it, I kind of figured she wasn't living through this book. Like for some odd reason I had it in my gut. I was like, there's no way they're going to give this guy a legit love interest and let her actually live. Like something's going to happen to her. I think what shocked me about it was, is I didn't expect her to die in an explosion. I kind of expected her to maybe die with Ethan mm. or like, you know, kind of maybe be killed in front of him. I didn't expect her to, you know, him and her to have that little moment. And then just before, like, like I didn't expect that, you know, mm. kind of mo death for her. Yeah. So, so after that, um, we get a, uh, we get a, almost like a, uh, pause in the action where we get a, a you know a full blacked out page and we go to uh, deja vu all over again again sort of again a, a tonal shift in the in the colors where you know we're blues and we're greens as it's night and we're inside um and sort of ethan um you know chris you had mentioned that we knew that he sort of it seemed like he was suffering from some sort of ptsd and again he's sort of been almost subjected to the to the same sort of trauma here watching watching this happen again and he's sort of getting the the same sort of exams that he probably got after the the first experience so what do you guys think about uh this sequence where ethan is being um sort of getting an exam after the the explosion and then we're introduced to to another character who who pulls up as he's he's leaving the hospital his sort of ex-partner um, advancing the story. Chris, uh, your thoughts here? I really liked it because I think one of the things they do a really good job of is trying to set up the realism. Like, mm -hmm. you're not going to just glance over this. and But also they show you what kind of person Ethan is by how he's just already out of the hospital. Like, he, he's not hanging around for all of this. Mm -hmm. And I love, one of my favorite characters, and you'll, you'll really get to like him more in, issue in the second book, is his ex-partner or his handler. That, that was really more what he, the vibe I get from him is, is Ethan was the undercover. He's the handler, but partner, informant, however you want to kind of look at it. But their relationship is great. And you could tell, like, you know, like I said, I used to be in law enforcement and, and I have people that I can still go to and ask questions or get feedback from. And I like how Ethan plays that source. It makes sense. It's a very true kind of thing to it. So. Noah, uh, your your thoughts here? Yeah, I agree with Chris. I don't really have much to add, and I like the blues and the purple color scheme. It's so moody, and uh, it's really nice. But yeah, what do you think, Matt? Uh, yeah, I liked it. I, I feel like in any good sort of police procedural like detective story, there's either got to be the the partner that you work with really well, or the partner that you work with well but you might not completely trust uh so like i i i, I like that uh that we get sort of a another sort of it's not quite a buddy cop aspect to it but we sort of we get a little bit of a a, a partner or somebody that we feel like ethan might be able to um to rely on a little bit because right now he's he's really 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 on his own yeah i think he's like 
Frank is the handler, right? That's his name. And yeah. uh, he's like the police chief sort of archetype here where it's like, he's the guy who's like, mayor's breathing down my ass kind of thing, except for this one, it's like CIA's breathing down my ass, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then, um, but then Anna, his assistant is kind of like the buddy cop, that kind of thing True. who's like the, uh, the yin to his yang kind of thing that's going on here. Um, but yeah, so I like the character, but I also like what you said about like, you don't know if you can trust this guy because clearly there's something else going on, you know, more going on than what we think. Yeah. So after that, we get uh, Waiting in the Dark, which is sort of like uh, a little bit of Ethan's uh, recovery period. Um, but then he's, I guess he's, he's gotten some information from the, uh, the ex-partner, the, the ex-handler that sort of moved his sort of investigation along. So he has a little bit of like a recovery period, but then he's ready to take action again. So Chris, uh, with the information that uh, Ethan has gotten, he's, he's ready to, to move again. So the, the story is, is about to take a, another sort of uh, step along. So, so what do you think about giving him like one to two pages to recover after everything he's gone through and then putting him back uh, out in the field and, and getting to it? It, it works really well because I think that's something that a lot of people fathom. It's kind of difficult with superhero comics is like, man, they can go get blown up in a spaceship and then be right back out the next day or, you know, 20 minutes later, you gave them a little time to heal. You know, that makes sense. But also too, like you're, you're dealing with a guy who's, you know, giving him information from the FBI. Like we're talking bureaucrats here. Like it's not going to come on, the dime and this guy's probably doing this on the DL so he's not drawing attention to Ethan or what he's going to do with the information especially because we know you know one of the groups involved in this at the end like they're probably watching to see who asked for files on certain people mm -hmm. so like he's going to be smart about it it's not going to be an overnight kind of thing so this makes very good sense and it sounds procedural but it also is you know it's logical, which I kind of enjoy because, you know, you can tell that there's a little research into kind of a, a little realism to this, I guess would be the best way to say it. Yeah. So, uh, uh, so basically I feel like, um, and I'm, I'm just flipping through the pages, but basically um, the, the handler, Frank gives him some information that's leading him to, to an airfield. Um, does is it involving like uh, drug trafficking? Am I remembering correctly? Like that's why he needs to get to the, to this airfield and they're, they're watching it. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. And I like the interaction that we have with him and the, the woman in the diner, who's sort of the drug dealer. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was really cool. Very original kind of like the interaction with the mechanic in the garage where you think it's going to be one way, you know, that they're going to be, you know, like well, in the in the mechanic, you think that he's not going to be threatened easy, and he's going to have to fight him. And the guy gives up the information easy. Here, it's great because like you think that this like Hispanic waitress is going to cave when he starts threatening her with like you know the authorities and stuff, and she's like, no, like I'm not going to give you anything. And he's like, oh yeah, I believe her. Yeah, that kind of thing. Like she's like she's got more to be afraid of than me and the yeah. authorities because this guy's pretty scary. So I loved that. And that, that was really great interaction. That was just sort of great with like Brubaker and Phillips giving you something a little familiar, but then like, again, flipping your expectations. Uh, so that was really cool. Yeah. So there was a mention of the, uh, the fight that Ethan has in the, uh, 
the 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 hotel room um the uh the the waitress sort of sends some some muscle his way to sort of try to get him off of the uh off of the tracks and they they think that they're successful um but you know again ethan sort of takes a little bit of time to recover and then he's he's a man on a mission he's back you know he's back on his way so you know we have a i think it's good that we have an action sequence here because we've we haven't had one in a while or actually more maybe more of like a fight sequence because you know we've had a lot of intrigue we've had you know twist and turns but it's it's always it's comic book storytelling you know somebody's got to get punched at some point in the story so chris what do you think about getting a little bit of a, a fight scene here i thought it was a good call because it's like you said you don't want it to get you want the story to progress you don't want a big lull you've kind of gotten a lull already with the with the couple day recovery and you want to keep that reader kind of you know this is not an inevitable car ride like that's going to go indefinitely like it's going to end somewhere you're going to have what goes on so you want some action in it you know like you want those little like little peaks and you know like as you're headed towards the big climax mm -hmm. so you want to keep building it up a little bit and it would make sense that this guy's gonna have to to fight his way through to get to the top guy yeah like you're not gonna just get you know you don't show you don't play mario and get to bowser in the first level you know yeah. you gotta go through all the little minions so yeah, that's yeah. I was actually thinking like uh, it's it's like boss battles. Like you gotta you gotta level up uh, every every so often. So maybe in this case, it's every so pay every so many pages you gotta level up and and take on a uh, you know before it was one guy with a, with a ranch and now it's two guys and in, in a hotel room. So it's it's sort of amping up as as we get to to the end Noah um I, I think you had mentioned the the hotel fight but um you know we're uh he, he's still sort of progressing and uh making his way but uh what do you think about getting a little bit of a fight and a little bit of resolution and Ethan continuing in his journey yeah I agree with what you guys said that it's not something where it's like everything is still like informing what's about to come like who he's about to face up against also, I like how it's like he gets beaten up here, but he's also naked. That kind of thing. Like he has nothing to defend himself with. And it's like they came at him at his like most vulnerable. So, of course, they beat him up. Mm -hmm. So I like that a lot. Um, but like because it's like, you know, it's not like he's like he can't handle himself. It's like they had him at like a, an incredibly unfair advantage right here. So that was great. Um, yeah, I, I thought that it was a great sequence and it kind of informed it informed what was to come. But it also informed sort of like Ethan, like he's not like good like just bare knuckle and like, you know, and of course just bear right here fighting for his life. Like he needs to have like some kind of systematic advantage to win a fight. And that's sort of cool to see how that gets built up over the next couple of pages and the next couple of chapters. Yeah. And we're telling, we're telling detective fiction here. We're not, this is not Superman. He's not going to yeah, win. Exactly. He's not going to win every fight. He's, he's going to win some, he's going to lose some. So he's got to, he's got to have a loss here sometime in, in this book. So um, yeah, that's, that's a really good point. So, you know, he's, he's still on his way. He gets to the airfield and he does a bit of reconnaissance for a while to sort of feel out like what's going on, um, you know, what he's up against and who, who he's looking for. Um, Chris, what are your thoughts about sort of the uh, uh, the the setup we get by him, you know, doing the reconnaissance and, and we know sort of like we're with him sort of planning, like this is how I'm going to have to get in here and sort of we're 
exposed to the obstacles that he's going to encounter as well. So what do you think about sort of like a recon scene before diving into the fight? I like it because everything you get with Ethan up to this point is, yeah, this guy's a brawler. Like he's going to fight. He has no problem, but he's not an idiot. Like nobody reads this book and go, okay, this guy's an idiot. Mm -hmm. You know, he's got some training, you know, he's got some skill set. I mean, let's be honest, his line of work now, you don't live this long doing these things. If you don't have a little bit of foresight, you know, to come up with a plan. The thing that I like about it is, is, Normally when you kill like quote unquote the, the the love interest, you get that blind rage. He doesn't really ever have that. You know, like he he fights, but he's still got the the wherewithal to like plan. And he also realizes too, he's one guy. Like he's not gonna be able to just roll up in there, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger commando style and take out the whole base. He's gotta plan this. And this is just like what anything else, like I said earlier. It's procedural. Nobody just storms into an airfield trying to take it over. You know, maybe if you're in a pursuit and you got something like it's, it's a hot scene, but he's got some time. He wants to do it right. And he wants to try to do it as quiet as he can, because he can only fight so much too. Like at the end of the day, if you're, you know, you're a brawler like him, you can't inevitably fight all the time. You're going to get tired. You're going to get exhausted. And then someone's going to get the one up on you. And that's probably it for you. Noah, um, your thoughts about sort of the recon and the planning before Ethan goes in for his sort of main main action here. Yeah, I like uh, like what Chris said about sort of how it informs Ethan's character because he is sort of a closed off person and a very calculating person. But I like how then they show what he's up against, which is something that needs a lot of calculation, but also needs to like be aware of the like sort of savagery that he's going to run into because his main the main guy he's going after is a psycho. Yeah. Um, yeah. And his name is like Lloyd Wilder is the guy's name. So like on the page where you get Lloyd's story, like there are no panel borders. It's like three panels, but there's no basic panel borders. So it's kind of wild and expressive. So you get that unpredictable nature. So that sets up visually that this guy's unpredictable. So I thought that was a cool choice to introduce our wild, crazy villain as this like guy who doesn't even get a normal page that has like, you know, regular page breakdown stuff so cool choice uh, i like the build up here and uh, yeah love how it propels us forward yeah so um you know we have the the recon scene and, and ethan's ready to to act um you know he he gets into the airfield um he has another fight with some of the guys that are, are fueling the plane um and then um wilder is um sort of at his sort of sh chateau looking over the airfield and he knows something is wrong when he gets a phone call and he sees smoke from the airfield. So things, things are escalating. Um, again, we have a sort of a, a color shift and sort of the, the, the yellows and the, uh, the light greens here. Um, Chris, so now we know that we, we sort of, we're, we're on our way to, to having the standoff. Um, you know, between these two guys, what do you think about sort of preparing us, um, you know, having Wilder look down upon the, the smoking airfield, um, you know, making this call and just sort of getting frustrated with his guys and he's sort of like, F it, I'm just going to come deal with it with my, myself. So, you know, we're sort of set up for this confrontation here. Um, what do you think about this section? It's great. 
and the best reason that's great is because the, the misdirection that's about to come from this scene. You're looking at this thinking, okay, this book is over. Couple pages, maybe they draw this out. It's going to be done. But then you look and you're like, man, it's going to be either a real long fight or a real short fight and a lot of like, <laughs> you know, thinking inside my head kind of thing. But they're going to, they're, they're doing this in like, you got to fathom, like, I, I'm not wilder in this situation, but like he, he comes off as the kind of guy that doesn't have a lot of patience for a lot of people. And when he realizes things aren't going the way he's going to, he's just like Ethan, he's going to go handle the problem. Mm -hmm. And this is, like I said, you want this buildup. You've been waiting for this buildup. You're getting the buildup. But then if you're, you're looking at what you're reading, you're going, okay, this can't be it. Something else is going to happen here. And yeah. I thought that was the best part because I really read this. I was like, oh, they probably threw in a bonus short story in the back. Like, yeah. this is going to be over in a couple pages. Nope. One even close. Yeah, I yeah. love that. Yeah, because I like that. That's sort of using the graphic novel format to its best advantage where you don't know how much of the book is left. The, you know, like this is a book where you can have a recon scene that goes for like eight pages you know, whereas like if you were doing this like issue to issue, that would take up half your issue. Right. And, you know, and so like, you know, this book isn't following, you know, any typical issue, you know, length or anything like that. It's its own length, which is great. And so, yeah, you're right. Like, you know, we could have the rest of the book could just be Ethan going after Wilder or like you said, it could subvert our expectations the next five pages. It's really great. So, yeah, that's uh, it's a yeah, it uses the format well. Yeah, and I think more to the to the point of you know showing that that the Wilder is a guy that like easily gets frustrated, and he's just sort of like, all right, you guys mess this up, I'm gonna go take care of it as uh, on my own. He's like walking past all of his like cronies that are like bleeding out like yeah. on the side of the street, and he's just like, you messed up, you know, wither away and die on the on the on the side of this walk. I'm I'm just gonna keep walking past you. So we 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 get more of this like it just sort of emphasizes that like he doesn't really care about these these guys and he's he's just really frustrated with the situation and he's he's making a beeline to to deal with it on his on his own. So um from there we are in a barn with a hatchet. Um and that's kind of what we saw. So um, this is sort of like uh, bringing us full circle. So Chris, when we got to this point, um, what were your thoughts? Like, is, is sort of a storyteller? You were you like, okay, I see what they're doing here. Like, they they showed us here, and now like they're they're, they're bringing us back to to that sort of the point they dropped us in at the beginning of the book. Well, like I said, I thought we were kind of ending the book. Like, I really did. I thought the book was going to be over. We were going to get probably the nice memorial scene at the beach, you know, where he like maybe dumps a beer out or throws a flower in for rainy. And it was going to kind of be over because we knew this guy was going to die. Mm -hmm. And then, like I said, you get that excited utterance from him and it's like, what? Oh, okay. But you got the fight that you wanted. Mm -hmm. Like, and that was what you wanted. You wanted to see like which one of these guys was really going to go at it. And you kind of read it and you were like, okay, I'm not in this fight, but I'm a little tired from it. Like they, they drew it out well. And I think the color works very well in this set of sequences as well. You know, like for some reason, I felt like when I was reading this fight, like I was exhausted myself. 
yeah. yeah, it definitely is visceral, the violence in this fight. But I also like how the buildup before the chapter break is just, uh, you know, they start at the beginning with the first dialogues of, so there's like this number that you call like 1-800-something. And then they just skip the rest of the, you know, the opening prologue and just cut right to the hatchet in, in motion, you know, because like, and they don't have to do a title card where it's like, well, now you're caught up or it's like, or something like that. Or it's like, or now you see how I got here or anything like that. They just like, nope, let's just keep moving the story along. They trust us, the readers to remember that from the beginning to be having that at the forefront of our mind as to how do we got to that place that was at the beginning. So that was really cool. But yeah, it is such a visceral fight. I like how they, you know, this is like, it's very comic booky in the sense of like, you know, the poses are very dynamic and stuff, but it's not like, it's not pretty. You know, like somehow it's still not pretty. It's very gritty and realistic, the violence and uh, very bloody. And uh, the letters are like, and the dialogue choices are so like, uh, I don't know, textured in a way mm -hmm. where it's just, yeah. Like Chris said, it's just painful. It, it, it does a good job of showing the pain. Like when the machete hits Reckless's arm, like I winced. I was like, oh, yeah, that, that's pretty great. So, um we have a bit of a uh, deathbed confession from, from Wilder that lets Ethan know that this was, um, let's see, I'm looking. He's, he basically tells them that this is a whole CIA operation that he just rolled into um, and, and took out. So that's, you know, more for, for Ethan to, to, to deal with. So he's, he's back on the road um, and he's, you know, he's heading back um, and he, he has a confrontation with his, with his handler. So Chris, you know, we get this confession um, and we, you know, we, we know more about the operation that was going on in the airfield. And now Ethan, Ethan's out for, for more answers. So what do you think about this twist here? Oh, it makes sense. I mean, I'm not gonna lie to you. When I read that panel on the, when they were fighting on the tarmac and everything and the guys like, you know, I'm just the pilot. Don't, don't I'm like, man, that guy's a spook. Like, 100%, I was like, that guy's a spook. Like, he knows he ain't going to win this fight, and he's just got a job to do at the end of the day. And I thought, you know, I was like, and I liked it, because that was where, like, you know, Frank kind of warns him, like, you know, don't, don't get into this, like, you know. And then we've all grown up hearing, like, you know, the CIA was running drugs during this era. Like, I thought it was a really good kind of take on it, because you're putting, you know – you know, history to the story, which is adding to the realism of the story. Mm -hmm. And I liked it. I mean, it, this book is, like I said, it's full of misdirections mm -hmm. or, you know, and, and Brubaker and Phillips aren't the, the guys where it's like, they gave you that little bit there with the, with him pretending, you know, like, Hey, don't, don't hurt me. And then you're like, Oh yeah, it makes sense. Yep. I see that a hundred percent. And I liked that about it because like, they're not telling you got to watch every little detail, but they are, you know, they do a good job of when you go back and they give you the information on something like that. You're like, that makes sense. Good on them. You know, I like how, you know, they play with the expectations of the typical villain being like a reflection of the hero. So Wilder being this guy who was sort of disenfranchised by the system, kind of like reckless was as an FBI agent. So we expect Wilder to be the villain, you know, when we're thinking in like black and white terms. But in the end, it's like both of them were played by Rainey in this like final 
act of, I don't know, kind of vengeance on her part. I really like that. But again, it's not something where they're like, oh, but Wilder was a good guy. They're like, no, he's still an awful person, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like it's like there's that nuance there where it's like there's no good and bad. People are just screwing each other over at this point. And I, and I like that point where it's sort of a, an expectation switch, you know, because we expect Wilder to be the main villain, but basically both of them being in the same position where they've been screwed by the government and they've been screwed by the people that they were screwing over, you know, that that's sort of the great thing in the end. Um, so yeah, it was good. Uh, yeah, it, it was, it's a great twist in the story. Yeah. So, so Ethan gets back and he, he, you know, he has this confrontation with, with Frank, you know, he's upset about the, the, the situation he just came out of, but then he gets even, uh, some, you know, stranger news is that, uh, Frank tells him that, uh, Rainey's brother was responsible for the, uh, the, the bombing, um, of, of his, you know, his, his sister, you know, Ethan's sort of former love interest. So he goes to the, uh, he goes to the prison where, um, this is a, the brother's name is, uh, Anton. Um, so they, they, uh, they have a talk, um, about things. So, so what do you think about the, again, the story taking another twist and turn, Chris, that we, we find out who's responsible for, for the, the car bombing. Oh, I thought it was a smooth move. I thought that was probably the the masterstroke of the whole story. You know, was was that twist with Rainy because it's just another level to her and like what she was willing to do. Because you thought maybe you know, like she went to him for help, and now you're realizing like this has all been revenge the entire time. This mm-hmm. has been very calculated. I'm going to eliminate lots of problems, revenge all at the same time nice yeah. yeah uh noah uh your thoughts here it's kind of the final misdirect because like at this time we wanted wilder to be the main villain right we wanted we expected that and then we feel unsatisfied with the possibility that it could be her brother because he was the one who was responsible with the first bomb that gave ethan his scar back in the 70s mm-hmm. and you know that also eventually broke up his relationship with rainy and uh at this point i felt like deeply dissatisfied if he was the main killer you know of his sister so then adding on to that extra bit at the end of no she got she gets revenge on her brother too for ruining her life in the end as well by blowing herself up so rainy gets justice in death because of course she was going to die herself from terminal cancer but then you know in death she gets to get revenge on her brother on Wilder and then on Ethan, you know, in the end, which is, which is pretty great. Like, I, I kind of like that. I like my favorite sort of detective stories are where the murderer or the criminal gets away. Like those are my favorite Sherlock Holmes where Sherlock is just too impressed or like sympathizes too much with the person committing the crime that he's just like, now you get away with it. You know, I, I like that, that edginess out of like a character that you can only get in these like pulpy novels. So that was great. So, you know, we, we, we basically have a lot of the resolution of, of this issue and then sort of um, sort of to help us close out, we sort of get three or four pages of, of Ethan um, on a surfboard sort of reflecting um, to sort of uh, give us a character moment as we as we as we finish out this 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 issue. So, Chris, what do you think about just sort of giving us a, a slow moment to sort of 
maybe take a breath with Ethan and sort of process everything for, for you know, two, three, four pages is to sort of close us out here. Well, I think that goes to the immersion that you feel throughout this story. Like you're along on the ride on this. And I think this was a great way because after you get all this, you need kind of a couple seconds, especially with the whole conversation with, with Anton and everything to like wrap your head around everything that she actually has done or has gone on. Mm -hmm. And then you remember too, like, okay, we're going to reset now because this is a series and there's another book coming. So what's next? Yeah. And I also like that this is another kind of thing that shows you a little more to Ethan. Like we know the movie theater is where he lives and what he likes and, you know, but the, beach in the ocean is another part of him as well yeah that's yeah that's that those are really great points uh Noah what do you think about this sort of um kind of thinking of this as sort of like a like almost feeling this like a tv series this is sort of like where the credits are rolling and we just sort of see like our hero sort of regrouping it and getting ready to to you know for for more action but you know we sort of get it with two to three pages here at the end yeah, it's kind of a cool completion to the hero's journey. You know, at the if you look at the the first title card, I really can't I really call it I wouldn't really call it work. It's the ocean mm-hmm. is the first shot. I mean, after the prologue, obviously, of, of him fighting Wilder in the barn, but then it's the ocean. So it's sort of a nice like full circle. Starts on the ocean, him not being in the ocean, obviously, but him returning to the ocean. So maybe we're finding that part of himself that felt something, you know, at one point, but also moving on in a way where it's like, it's like a healthy moving on where it's like keeping this part, rediscovering this part of himself where like he was in love with Franny, where he felt something passionate and that's sort of what the ocean represented to him. So finding that again, and of course, letting the past sort of die in his current state in the theater where he lets the young kids come in and tear it up in the middle of the punk screening, which is great. So it's just a good hero's journey of like returning all the way back to the beginning. There's been growth with this character, you know, something that wasn't there at the beginning is now there and, you know, and vice versa, which I really like. Um, yeah. So it was, I, I actually am finding as we talk about this, I'm loving the book more. So I think my opinion has changed as we've talked about it in the span of an hour, which is pretty great. Cool. So um, that's sort of our review. So, um, you know, I I know there's another uh, issue, not issue, another graphic novel in this this series that's out. So um, I guess maybe we can make plans to to get together and and talk about that uh, in in the future. Uh, But Chris, I want to turn it back over to you for for final thoughts. I know that, uh, you know, we, we joked earlier that you're sort of our go to for Brubaker Phillips books. So, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that you're, you're on for the ride for as long as this reckless stuff goes on. Right. Oh yeah. I, I, I'm probably the guy who literally went to like, you know, my buddy owns comic book shop. And I was like, look, man, I can push 20 copies of this (laughs) signed copies. Like, trust me, I'll buy 20 copies if I have to. No, I really enjoyed this. And, when you read this book and then you read the second book, which is friends with the devil, you will see how much was actually, this book was a great story. The first one, but also how much setup you got. Like when you're introduced to all these characters and everything, and you don't even realize that they're setting up the next book really. 
you're just getting in this complete story and then you're reading the next one going man they did that well like i didn't meet any characters i didn't know that i didn't need to know initially like that was smooth and i will say this if you enjoy the first book which i thoroughly enjoyed it this second book is better like this was a series that got and I, and I don't even like to use the word significantly like that, but it did. It makes a pretty big jump, but it still fits with everything you've got. And, and the, probably the thing that works the best in that too is thus far, we're not going back to the CIA thing. Like this book is over. You could read this book as a standalone, not need to read the next one. You can go read the next book and not have read the first book yeah. and you're going to still be perfectly fine with it. It doesn't really seem to matter at this point other than for the purposes of who the characters are. Mm -hmm. Like, and they do a good job of explaining the characters in the second book as well that you kind of need to know. But they do a good job of making this something where you don't have to get everything, like everyone to enjoy this series. But yeah, I'm 100% on the ride. I, you know, volume three, I already technically have three more Cool. So what do you guys think that maybe we'll, we'll plan about a month or so to, to reconvene and, and, and talk about the, talk about the next book. Um, and, and going forward, we, we, we can do more issues. I'm down. Yeah, I'm down. Cause I mean, I'm, I'm going to give you a little bit of a teaser. We're talking cults, <laughs> e-movies and eighties Hollywood. Nice. Like, Not just B-movies, snuff films. I was trying to leave a little out there for my <laughs> teaser. I didn't say spoiler. I'd say that's what sold it for me. Well, I mean, like, it's great. But then I will say, to get you excited for the third book, the second book is amazing. But you, I've never been more excited, again, with the buildup of these two books, for a third book until they revealed the title of it. Because it's been something that's been, like, in the background of both books. And then when they reveal the title of the next book, you're like, Holy crap. I'm so excited for this. Like, it's just, it's, do you want to say, good. do you want to say what it is? No, no. Okay. It's just great. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, guys, I, I really enjoyed uh, talking about this book and uh, we'll make plans in, in a couple of weeks, maybe a month or so to, to get back together and, and talk about the, uh, the next book in this series. So um, Chris, um, I, I think we talked about this pre-interview, but you don't really have anything for, for folks to, to, to be aware of right now. I think maybe you have some plans for, for a trade of Superior Sam, but that's down the road, right? Yeah, we're currently in the process of 2021 is going to be kind of a gap year for Superior Sam. Mm-hmm. We are working on a trade. The script for issue nine is done. The script for issue 10 is done. But right now, one of the big things we wanted to focus on was putting together a collected edition so I don't have to take any of the books out of print and there's still a way to get them. But one of the cool things we are doing with the trade is, is now that I actually have an editor that started with me during issue five, we're actually going through and re-editing and rewriting a little bit of the earlier, the first four stories, actually it's the first five stories. So that's what we're kind of working on right now, but I don't have any shows planned. I've done a couple virtual panels and things like that, but really 2021 is going to be that year where we just kind of, you know, kind of on the burner a little bit, but we're working for a big 2022 because I want to get out and I want to see fans and I want to talk with people and I don't want to do anything early, I guess would be the best way to say it. So 
Um, what about sort of like in the in-between time between now and the, the, the big 2022, is there, are there ways for, for people to check out Superior, Sam? Can they go to like, you know, uh, like a web page or, or anything to sort of get digital copies or anything like that? Yeah, you can go on my website, chrisparkhamauthor.com. Um, I will just say this as a disclaimer is, you know, the pandemic's hit everybody differently. That website's not going to be around come June. Um, we're, we're cutting some costs and that's something that's going, but you can go on Webtoon, you can go on Tapas, you can go on Comixology, you can go to my Etsy store and you can either read for free or get digital copies through there or physical copies. And then we do hope to put out the trade late summer. Okay. I mean, we're, we're almost done. So I just, you know, like I told you guys earlier, we've, I've, I've my, my wife and I, we've had some personal things. And we, we kind of took last month and this month off to kind of deal with those things. Sure. And once we get kind of back on track, you know, it's not going to be very long because literally all I have to do is finish three page worth of editing for issue five. Josh already has all the notes. So we're pretty much done with the trade. So cool. Cool. Well, I, I, I look forward to more uh, superior Sam. So um, yeah. you'll, you'll have to let us know how that goes and uh, you know, we can talk, we can talk, uh, you know, crime books with, with hatchets. And then we can talk about your, your all ages, you know, yeah. uplifting, uh, <laughs> all yeah. ages book. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when you're at Comic-Con and like, I look at some of the things that I read that are sitting in the box with some of those books. And I'm like, I, I joke with my wife. I'm like, don't, don't flip past that book. <laughs> we're, we're good. Like, I remember I bought a copy of, um, you'll laugh, Noah, because you'll know as soon as it, but I kind of bought a copy of My Heroes Have Always Been Junkies at yeah. a con because it was a signed edition. I was like, oh man, it's it's a book plate edition. I want this because I don't have many Brubaker cigs. And I was like, man, I literally have a book about drugs sitting in a box full of <laughs> children's books. Yeah, this, this is peak. This is so. yeah. Classic, classic Chris Barkham right there. Nice. Yeah. nice. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, well, this is a lot of fun. I'd like to, to thank everybody for listening. For, for those of you that are listening, if you could give us a rating and review on the podcasting service you use, we really appreciate it. If you want to follow the podcast, we're on Twitter at ConstructComPod. Instagram is Constructing Comics Pod and Facebook is Constructing Comics. Um, also, please check out the, the show notes for a Kickstarter link to Dino Thrasher's Fire and Ice. Uh, Noah is the artist on that book, and I am the co-publisher. Um, uh, so we'd really appreciate it if you could take a look at that. But I'd like to thank everybody for listening. Please uh, be safe, be nice to each other, and go out there and make some comics. Thank you. <laughs>